So in today's episodes, Angel says the phrase still dead. Wesley says he's feeling rather chipper and Angel calls himself Angel Jones. You know what that means, right? That the production team is reaching 18 years through time to tell us that they love us. Yes. And that Angel clearly wants to marry you. Well, he's going to have to get in line. Damn right. Welcome to Still Dead. I'm researcher and Southern Fried Scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And we're here today to talk about Angel, Season 1, Episodes 13 and 14, She and I've Got You Under My Skin. We're feeling rather chipper, so let's raise the stakes. In She, the episode that gave us those wonderful Angel and Wesley dancing gifts, a princess named Jira from a misogynistic dimension uses Los Angeles as the site for an underground railroad to rescue other women from the oppressive tactics of the men. When the women start killing human men who can't control themselves around their sexual power, Angel gets involved. He rescues the women, commands the men to leave, and then tells Jira to stop killing people. And all of this while somehow managing to keep himself from raping her. So I guess he gets a cookie then? She aired on February 8th, 2000. It was directed by showrunner David Greenwalt and written by David Greenwalt and Marty Noxon. Noxon is a Buffy favorite, and this is sadly the only time she'll be writing for Angel, especially because, well, this episode is not up to Noxon's usual kick-ass work. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't, I didn't sense any of Noxon's uh, fingerprints on this. There are certain things that she does. She's funny in a very particular way. Um, she's, I don't know, like there's something in her writing that you usually really see her in the work. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see her in this. No, I didn't see her in this either. And because like one of my goals for doing Still Dead is figuring out why do I love what I love or what is mm -hmm. it about this story? Um, I, I take a lot of notes, even though I talk a lot on the show, I take more <laughs> notes than I talk. Yeah. But to try to express like my difficulty with this episode, I've got some excerpts from my actual notes unedited in the stake this section. <laughs> oh, sure. Trying yeah. to answer like, what is what what is what? wrong with this episode and what's yeah. missing and like, what the hell happened? Right. No, it's it's a really interesting episode from a critical standpoint in mm -hmm. that it seems to be trying to do something, talking about issues and, and feminism and all that kind of stuff, while at the same time still reinforcing a lot of incredibly harmful stereotypes. And it just, it feels all over the place. But yeah. let's go ahead and start with our moments of perfect happiness, which I notice we have a fair number of, but it's mostly just a couple of dialogue moments. It's like these, yeah. <laughs> these isolated moments that are that are moments of, you know, some somewhat perfect happiness um, before we get into the stake this, which I think will probably be a little more extensive and run a little bit deeper. But uh, for my moments of perfect happiness, I mean, I, I love this opening with the party at Cordy's house. I think it's kind of cute and it's kind of fun. Um, there's this moment where the uh, the girl is is flirting or, you know, maybe trying to flirt with, with Wesley about his sweater. She's like, nice sweater, hand knit. And he goes, certainly not by me. And I just, I love Wesley. 
He's adorable. I think he is adorable. And I love the way they're both dancing. And it's, you know, and then we get, you know, angel dancing. But of course, that's only in his horrified, you know, imagination of what he would look like if he tried to dance and his fear of looking goofy. Um, And it's just kind of cute. And then ends with this, you know, flashback to him. He's like, I don't dance. Yeah, that that dance scene is priceless. Mm -hmm. and It makes me laugh every time. And I love seeing Angel's obvious discomfort and awkwardness trying to make conversation or listen to the woman talking to him when he's so out of place at the party. But he's there for Cordy, you know, because he loves her. And so even though he doesn't behave the way she would have wanted, he's still showing. And he even tells her later, you know, I'll try harder. Right. And it's it's really kind of sweet that he's trying to be in her world you know, when it's so different from his. Yeah, you know, that he's really making that effort, even though he is completely not comfortable, you know, in this kind of environment, which I think is, it's really nice. And it shows that kind of family thing that we've been sort of pulling together, you know, Mm -hmm. getting this office family working. I also love the moment when Dennis pulls the chair out for Angel. Yeah, I think that's so sweet. I do too. And Angel says, hi, Dennis. Like, (laughs) it's just, I love that he's making conversation with him, even though Dennis can't answer. Um, yeah. And he says, how you doing? Still dead? And I just was like, yes. I, know. I didn't know that he said that at any point during. So when he said that, I was like, oh, still dead. Yay. Yeah, I was so excited. <laughs> and Dennis gives him a beer. And I love that yeah. so much because, mm-hmm. you know, ghosts can be empathetic and kind and comforting and caring in this world. And that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. And that was the only warm and fuzzy I got for the whole episode. So I'm going to hold on to it. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Hold on to that, right? Um, We get a cute moment from Cordelia in the next day in the office when she says, you used to be a person. Did you never party? Did people not gather in olden times? And it's kind of adorable. I also like Angel's, you know, response. I have two modes with people, bite and avoid. (laughs) Yes, that was And you know what? I kind of think that that would make a great tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just really sweet. And, you know, I love, I just, I love everything. Like, Angel is so great. And, you know, that whole broody thing that he has that this reputation for just sitting around brooding all the time, you know, Um, we're getting less and less of that. And I Mm -hmm. like that. I like him. I do, too. And him trying to ground the coffee beans by crushing them with his vampire strength was so cute. And I just really adore the fact that Angel drinks coffee. Yeah. Well, and, you and, know, even vampires need a little caffeine in the morning. I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's sweet. And when he's just sitting there, like, you know, wrestling with this idea of how would I, how would I even grind the coffee with this? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's very, very cute. And then I love we've got him Batmaning. Mm-hmm. He's Batmaning up the side of the building. He's hopping off the side of the building. Like, that's, that's my favorite yeah. thing. I love when he does that. I do too. And we get like the full coat action yes you yes. know like the coat mm-hmm. kind of has its own moment before that he duster yeah. yeah it's it's mm-hmm. great and i loved the music when he was yeah. batman mm-hmm. um some of the music in this episode was weird but that when he was going up the roof that was really cool yeah the music at the party when everybody was dancing and i was like that's not good music like, no. why is why is anybody dancing to this music that's and i not- understand that like there's music you can afford right you know and then there's good music <laughs> 
right? You know, so like I get it. Like I understand the limitations of a of a budget, especially when you've got to put so much money into special effects. Um, and it is also entirely possible that in the broadcast version they might have had because I think this was kind of this was airing in that sort of middle space before uh, music licenses were made to extend to DVD releases and streaming and all that kind of stuff. So like maybe the music was better in the original. Oh, I have no idea. It's okay. entirely possible, but That's it, it was not great. No, Cordy, I think, would be playing better music. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, but I kind of got a kick out of the fact that Angel was Batmaning to break into another PI's office. Right. Um, and, and, like, he goes to the filing cabinet and open it and just pulls that particular person's file right out. Yeah. And I thought, well, if somebody tried that at Angel Investigations, they would never find the file because of Cordy's unique system. So maybe yes. she's a lot better at her job than Angel gives her credit Absolutely. For. Absolutely. <laughs> Having a unique system that other people cannot understand understand is a bonus in this kind of circumstance exactly that'd be great (laughs) and then when he was leaving there and he he called Cordy on his cell phone um he said these things were definitely hooked up by a bored warlock (laughs) and like that perfectly describes my cell phone service and (laughs) that was funny but it also felt like a lot of episode time wasted on a pointless sort of phone call. So this is one of those love steak moments. Like I got well, something yeah, I like know. followed immediately by, okay, Angel's driving distractedly right. on a cell phone. Yeah. And, and what are we doing now? Like Also, <laughs> we get that cell phones are terrible. We get that yeah. Angel's a Luddite. Like, you know, and the thing is that uh, this is something, if I remember correctly, you know, we are going to revisit that joke a lot like angel can't use a cell phone all right fine (laughs) (laughs) let it go let it go well one of my absolute favorite parts in the whole episode is when angel goes into the museum right Mm -hmm. and he uses his knowledge of art and history and personal relationships with these famous people like i i absolutely love that he's pretending to be a tour guide i like how that speaks to his capability but i also like how it speaks to his his sense of of culture like he just he knows stuff and I love when he when he brings that out it doesn't happen that often but it's really nice when it does and I love when he's like you know lecturing about vampires he's like also Baudelaire is a little taller and a lot drunker than he is depicted here yeah (laughs) I love that and that was really cute that actually might be a Noxon thing I can almost see Noxon in that yeah I think so and it was really well done and yeah I just want to ask can we have more of Angel reciting poetry, please? Because Aww. that was great. <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's really, he's really awesome. And I also love Wesley's, like, you know, appreciation for flowers. Yeah. You know? And we have this, He's he loves flowers. He obviously knit his own sweater, which I think is awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I also love that it's, you know, we have him, like, having these qualities that are, you know, traditionally considered, you know, quote unquote feminine or whatever. And yet, like, it doesn't take away, we don't have any of that, but I'm not gay or anything. You know, it's right. just like, this is who he is. And it's part of the wonderful tapestry that is Wesley Wyndham Price. And I can't love that. <laughs> And then, of course, we move into uh, Kirk from the Gilmore uh-huh. Girls, Sean Gunn, right, who was also in Hero. He played the uh, the Bracken demon that uh, Doyle failed to save, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about Sean Gunn. Like, on Gilmore Girls, he showed up as various characters first, and then he became Kirk, and it became a joke that he had, like, a million different jobs. But I know in at least one of them, he was not 
supposed to be Kirk. Like he was supposed to be somebody else. Um, but I just wonder what it is about him that like he, you know, plays a small part on a show and then he's back again. Like, I think he must just be one of the most delightful people. I think people have him on set and they're like, you know what? We need you to come back. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm always happy to see him. Like, I waved at my TV, and I was like, hi, Kirk, welcome back. Yes, (laughs) I know. I mean, technically, the character's name in this episode is Mars. I don't think we get that, but I looked it up on IMDb, and that's why I don't remember hearing anybody call him Mars, um, because I think I might have remembered that. But but yeah, it's kind of neat. So it's it's fun to see him, but I'm always going to call him Kirk. I am, too. He's always going to be Kirk to me, no no matter matter what he's in. Even when he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm like, hi, Kirk. Hi, Kirk. Even when he's playing somebody terrible, I'm like, hi, Kirk. Yep. (laughs) It's good to see you, man. So I like also we get our opening on the move shot, like in the in the opening um, sequence, which, of course, is is visually just terrible in a million mm-hmm. ways. Um, but we always have this one shot of all of them walking down a hallway, you know, so you'll always see variations on that shot in every opening sequence for Angel. And when you see, you know, this this shot that you see all the time in one of these episodes, I was like, oh, that's where they got it. You know, <laughs> So it was really fun to see that. Um, and uh, and, you know. I like also that we have Wesley, you know, um, holding his own in a fight. Like he's in there. He's scrapping. He's knocking Mm -hmm. people out. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool, too. And I love that he knits, you know, and knows about flowers. Mm -hmm. And he has all this deep scholarship knowledge and this researcher mind. And and, but he he has this kind of steely warrior side to him. Um, that's going to get honed and, and sharpened, but we do see it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And and I really like that those things can coexist yes. in a character. Yes, I love it. And it doesn't take away from his masculinity. Guys, mm-hmm. if you like to knit, you're still a man. It's fine. You know? <laughs> and I love that. I love that. You know, because the thing is, like, we talk a lot about feminist issues because women are usually the ones getting slapped, right? You know, culturally. But men do, too. You know, men oh, yeah. are so limited in, you know, the amount of emotion that they're allowed to express. And, oh, my God, withholding emotion is a really dangerous thing you know to to do to yourself to not be able to express and to not and to have things that like a man might love and enjoy and might give him happiness and yet he avoids it because it's not masculine enough you know like I like seeing that we we have these elements of Wesley and yet he's no less masculine I like that you know too I think it's really good the patriarchy ultimately is fucked up for everyone it hurts everybody. I know that's what people they think that if you're against the patriarchy or if you're against white supremacy, that somehow you hate men and you hate white mm-hmm. people. And that's not what it is. It's bad for everyone. And when yeah. we fail to realize that, you know, it becomes this like false dichotomy. It doesn't exist. You know, right. when we battle these things, we battle it for the benefit of everyone. And I love how how like simply that was done here and, and mm-hmm. how beautifully. Me too. And and I liked at the end, um, Cordelia said to Jira, can I get you something? Knife to our throat. <laughs> and <laughs> because Cordy Snark is my favorite flavor of snark. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then I was really happy to see us end with Angel and Wes dancing again. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really like the extended dancing. <laughs> Yes, I think that that honestly is some of my favorite stuff from all of Angel, the dancing yeah. and those dancing gifts. I use them all the time in social <laughs> media because they are so fun they're and they're so, so sweet. Yeah, it really is just adorable. 
what I'd love to do is take like the beginning, you know, kind of party and funny and coffee clips mm-hmm. and like a little bit of the knitting and the flowers and then like the dancing. Yeah. And delete everything else and call yeah. this like a five minute fun, you know, like yes. <laughs> here's some random cute clips. Yes. And stake everything else. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty bad episode. Okay. So go ahead. Get us started with the staking. Okay. <laughs> what do you got? So I'm going to need a big steak Mm -hmm. because, first of all, what was the point of this fucking episode? Like, it bugs me and I can't figure out why it bugs me. And thematically, there is a lot here that I really should care about, but I just don't. And the misogyny pissed me off. But honestly, mostly, I was sort of bored. Yeah. Like, I really couldn't fall into the story. I kept feeling confused. And there was something missing, but I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And so normally when I'm taking notes, like it's very intensely tuned into what I'm watching and lots of questions and rambling theories and all this stuff. But for this one, you know, kind of at the beginning, I wrote, I love ice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This is not relevant to the story, but I wish I could make all the crushed ice in my house and have a room full of ice. And now I want to go to an ice bar. And for some reason, this is not what I thought an ice factory would look like. And I still can't get into this episode. Like, this is what I'm writing as I'm watching this. This is the insight into the brain of Dr. (laughs) Kelly Jones. This is. But I'm like. So then (laughs) later I wrote, I want to like the story. Mm -hmm. Powerful women, powerful female sexual energy, all the ice, Jira's badassery, but I still don't care. Yeah. And the sexual tension thing with Jira and Angel is not working at all. And the whole thing feels gross and sad. Yep. These women are so sexually powerful that the men can't control themselves around them. So the men mutilate the women in order to control them and turn them into slaves and objects. And this is sick and wrong. And somehow I still just don't care about this episode. Yeah, I think. Yeah, (laughs) I have some theories about why it doesn't work. Oh, good. You know, I have some theories about this. And I think it has to do with the fact that. We have this story, right, where we have this other dimension or whatever. And who the hell knows what you're, is she a demon? Is she an, an alien? alien? Like, what like, is what? this? Yeah. yeah. It's, and, it's, and this is the first time we've opened a portal in Angel. Right. And Angel isn't surprised. Right. And I mean, it's, it's, it's so weird. But yeah. here's the thing. Like, we're talking about female genital mutilation, right? I mean, that seems to be the analog, right? I mean, yeah. does that make sense, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and we're talking about, like, we've got this very powerful woman who's trying to save other women from, you know, a, a just outrageous oppression in which they are completely and you know I understand saying this with regard to demons or aliens or whatever they are but I mean let's face it everybody is human as far as the thematic you know weight of of who they are but the dehumanizing of these women by calling them it you know there's all of this stuff in there there's all of this really terrible um, treatment and we're fighting back against that right and we're like all right here we are taking a big fist of feminism smacking misogyny in the face it seems like something we should enjoy right Mm -hmm. except 
Um, at the same time that we're doing this and we're trying to have this discussion, we are also validating this idea that men cannot control themselves around a woman with sexual power, that um, that these men on this planet or dimension or whatever the hell it is that they're from, um, that they there is a justification for it because these women, their sexual power is so strong that we just can't, we have to defend ourselves against it and men can't control themselves and they have to rape them. Um, and that I find to be such a damaging message and a message which is not unfamiliar. I mean, we've had that throughout history. This is the reason why women can't have their bra straps showing, right? Because a man can obviously not control himself. And the fact is a man can. Men have every capability, you know, but we treat them like children unable to, you know, to uh, stop themselves from raping women. And so we have that here. These men are trying to rape these women and the women fight back by, you know, killing them, right? And we're not addressing the fact that it's a problem for these men to be attacking these women sexually um, because they can't help it, right? Because right. the sexual power is just so strong, you know? Right. So I feel like while we are... On the one hand, surface level, talking about these issues of misogyny, we are also validating a lot of the mindsets that allow this, you know, well, they're just men. They can't control themselves. And then we bring in Wesley as an example. He cannot control himself around these women. He's getting and it's supposed to be so funny and so cute how he's getting all flustered with them and whatever. Like, that's not. That's not Wesley. And, no. and I refuse to buy this idea that these women are so sexually powerful that, that men just can't not rape and assault them. Like, that's nuts. And that's a terrible, terrible message. Right. And and especially, well, and I'll, I'll talk about this in a second, but the way that they're they're coded and the way that they're mm -hmm. dressed and the way that the camera zooms in on, you know, body parts. And, you know, when Wesley asked that girl for a goodbye kiss, mm -hmm. I was like, that is not Wesley Wyndham Price. Yeah. No, and, it's not. And it, we're, it's we're not. male gazing these women. I mean, my God, Jira's outfit. Yeah. You know, I, like I understand I, she's, she's running hot and she needs the ice and everything, but she could be wearing a tank top. She doesn't have to have this like, you know, this all boobs window in her shirt and, and, you know, made out of, you know, leather and, and right. all of this sexualizing and exoticizing of Jira, you know, which is something else that we do. Like, look at this exotic hot woman. And so mm -hmm. we're, we're male gazing all over the place here. Yeah. And and kind of reinforcing the very things that textually it seems like they're trying to talk about and and, you know, fight against. Yeah, it and and the whole thing was just confusing and kind of gross. And I don't know, right. it, it was there's there's something missing and then there was something off. But I think you're absolutely right that they were trying to tell one kind of a story but ended up sort of telling exactly what they were trying not to tell exactly and reinforcing those ideas and we also have this presumed heteronormativity again yeah, right again women, these these women have such incredible sexual power but yet women are unaffected cordy's unaffected mm -hmm. and let's just kirk is unaffected 
right? Yeah. He's the one who takes care of the women and sits there and stares at them and appreciates their form, but does not try to rape them. Why is he able to control himself around these women? Well, he was coded kind of two ways. Mm -hmm. So he kind of had this like Zen master thing going on. Mm -hmm. And then he also had like the eyeshadow and kind of the style thing going on. Right. So I don't know whether they were trying to code him as like spiritually above sexual urges or if they were trying to code him as gay. Right. But either one is also offensive. (laughs) Right. Right. No, it's. It's so crazy. And it's like, you know, if you have that much raw sexual power, you know, why would women not be, you know, coming after these? So the whole thing drives me crazy. It, It really, and again, it does. And the reason why women don't is because women can control themselves and men can't. That's the message that we're sending. Right. You know, and if men can't control themselves around women, instead of dealing with the men, what we need to do is mutilate the women. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I know they're saying that's wrong, but it's just it's, men's fear of female sexual power is a huge source of, of patriarchal attitudes that we have, you know, and it's so ridiculous. You know, uh, men can control themselves. Men are every bit as capable and, and, and strong as any other human, you know. Yeah. Um, so I find it to be uh, a really like the the overt message that it's sending is is contrasting with this implicit message that it's sending and all of it seems to be fighting against itself not to mention the fact that the story arc itself doesn't have much going on like you know angel gets involved because these women are killing the men who try to rape them mm-hmm. you know in which case i have much more sympathy for the women right yeah um because the option is let them rape you i guess i don't know um and so angel gets involved because of that then we have this whole thing where he's, they're trying to rescue these women and the women are coming through we see the example of the one woman who ends up getting mutilated and loses all of her right because if she's not connected with her sexuality she's nothing Right. It's like a lobotomy. Right. And that bothered me a lot, too, because if that if that body part on their their neck Mm -hmm. was supposed to be like an, you know, an analogy for the clitoris, then are we saying if a woman's sexual, you know, physiology is damaged or mutilated that she's no longer a woman that she's no longer a person person right like she's no longer she has no personality and they say that the co which is the the ridge in the back right that has the that gets mutilated is the source of personality right? right that's what she says so everything in these women relates directly to their sexuality and that if you take away their sexuality you destroy everything that they are including their own sense of personal agency their own sense of self completely yeah, yeah. you know that she were the, that one girl refers to herself as it yes afterwards and she's yes. just basically a zombie and mm-hmm. so that also really bothered me a lot mm-hmm. um because the message there is <laughs> women's only power and personality comes from their sexuality mm-hmm. and without it they're no longer fully human yeah um which I, I just yeah the whole thing was just disturbing it's it's really really troubling and so i don't know i look at all of that and i'm just like you know we get this whole thing where we've got 
these women who are killing men who try to rape them. And we've got these men who are trying to dominate and destroy and, um, you know, and, and mutilate these, these women and control them. And what we have is Angel just says, not in my town, and sends them back to their dimension to continue doing whatever it was they were doing. And then he sends Jira off and says, just please stop killing people if you would. Thank you very much. Um, and that's it. We have not resolved anything i mean nothing has changed the exact situation is going to continue happening she's going to continue trying to bring people here you know women here through the portal the women on this dimension are no safer than they were before angel does absolutely nothing nothing changes and the thing is a meaning in this story comes from what changes and right. nothing in this story changes it just yeah. moves location Right. And like Angel, you know, he's confronting these guys at the end to let Jira escape. And he does nothing yeah. except say, go home. Yeah. And they're like, okay. And what the fuck? Right. Like, since when does Angel let that kind of evil go? Um, right. As long know, as it's I'm, not it, on his turf, then right. fine. Like, what? Right. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. Um, so, and these guys are all going to go home because what Angel showed his teeth and they because got really Angel scared. So. Right. I mean, like they're what? not going to, you know, Jira's going off somewhere else and they're going to pursue her there. Like, so nothing happens. And this is again, like, you know, on the heels of expecting in which we had these guys who did these terrible things were knocking up the women with demon seed. Right. And they right. killed the demon. But these guys are still out there with no consequence for what they've been doing. So we have, again, you know, men doing horrible things to women and getting away with it. No consequence except a wagged finger. Right. And yeah, yeah. it was ridiculous. Um, And then some of it was also just kind of creepy, like referring to the women as it. Yeah. And and then... <laughs> When the when the one girl is is you know begging the men not to mutilate her, one of the guys says, "Why does it speak when no one listens?" And I was like, "Silence of the lambs, much?" Yeah. Like, I mean, what? Yeah. It was just the whole thing was awful. And then it shows them you know mutilating this girl, which is mm -hmm. graphic and yeah. disturbing. Yeah. You know, while she's being held down by a bunch of violent and begging men. them not to do it. Yeah. Right. And. But our hero princess warrior is dressed with as much cleavage as cable TV would allow. Mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, like, so we're we're supposed to be, you know, getting turned on watching her. Yeah. Kind of at the same time that this other thing is going on. And I, it just, you know, and then like Angel gets so turned on mm -hmm. that he has to go take a take shower. Take a cold and shower. Like right. Deal mm -hmm. with things or whatever. Right. In the middle of a case because not even Angel can wait. 45 minutes right. to masturbate because mm -hmm, he's got to mm -hmm. do it right that second because he's yeah. just that hot mm -hmm. and and she's also so drawn it's like she she's also fighting yeah that urge with him because she's so attracted to him and i'm like really like mm -hmm. really yeah yeah it, it, it yeah like no one can control their sexual urges so dear god let's just put these women down right and i mean here we are again sex is bad Right? right. I mean, the message that's the messages that are being sent in this episode are so incredibly destructive and working actively against each other while mm -hmm. the story also kind of just, you know, fizzles out. Um, I mean, it's just it's all it's all pretty much bad. Right. And then, you know, we've got 
Angel's whole problem with sex coming up again. Right. Um, and, and like pushing that to the point where he can't have sex with anyone because sex is that bad yeah. that that's going to give him some, you know, soul losing experience right right that he can't like flirt with the girls at cordy's party because he know what happens if he has you know perfect happiness again which is equated with sex which is not what perfect happiness is Mm -hmm. um that is also an incredibly flimsy thing and then we revisit the the whole gypsy curse again and here's the thing like i was listening to an episode of still dead in which i said the phrase gypsy curse a couple of times and i was like okay i know better because gypsy is the ethnic slur it's you know really really not okay to say that and you know we're talking about the romani people and it's very insulting and so i'm very very sorry that i've said the word i say it because they say it and then i don't think about it i just like repeat you know what we've been calling it all these years in buffy Mm -hmm. and angel so i would like to apologize officially for that um and i hope that i didn't offend anybody and it was not intentional i'm just using the phrases that they use but i think that we need to come up with a new name for this particular curse, like the curse of the constantly misunderstood sex shaming plot device, maybe. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I didn't get that creative. I was just going to call it the curse of the patriarchy. <laughs> sex is bad, remember? And right. I'm sorry, but fuck that noise. Yeah. Like, men are not all potential rapists without the power to control themselves. And mm-hmm. women are not dangerous forces of fire and passion for crying out loud. Why can't people just enjoy enthusiastic, consensual sex like adults and get over this bullshit? No, seriously. I mean, we allow sex culturally to define us so much and it's completely out of step. I mean, look, let's face it. I like sex as much as the next girl. That's fine. Like you can like sex. Sex, you can enjoy sex and that's great but sex is not this all-powerful you know sinful thing that you need to control and all of these ideas culturally have contributed to so many of the problems that we have sex is fun sex is great go have a good time as long as you have a adults and b consent you're good do whatever you want get your freak on right. that's awesome you yeah. know um but the idea that we you know we keep saying sex is bad like sex is dangerous you you know, it is so it diminishes men, it diminishes women. Um, it's not good for anybody. Um, emotionally, psychologically, it's it's extremely destructive mindset. Um, and and having that reinforced, you know, in this show, I find to be, you know, kind of disturbing. I do too. I do too. And and I mean, if if coffee mm-hmm. was as right. <laughs> villainized mm-hmm. as sex, mm-hmm. like I don't want to live in that world, man. Yeah. And it just. <laughs> no coffee, no sex without no guilt. No coffee, Jesus. no sex yeah. without. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. Like, I just <laughs> I think I might die. Right. <laughs> but it's, it is. And, and at some point, like, if you can just step back as a rational adult mm-hmm. and realize how ridiculous the whole thing is. Right. Mm-hmm. That, I mean. Really? Like, yeah. of all the characters in Buffy, in the whole Buffy verse, I think the one with the healthiest attitude towards sex is Anya. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. She has this wonderful thing. Like, we have these parts, and mm-hmm. they feel good when we smush them together. So what's right. the point of having them if we don't smush them? I'm like, thank you for becoming human in 10 minutes and right. figuring out <laughs> what the rest of our society has not figured out over right. millennia. But Anya, like, in those moments, is played 
as um you know as as kind of being silly and funny and like oh isn't it funny that she doesn't realize how incredibly destructive sex is you know right. like that she's <laughs> like isn't it fu- and it's supposed to be this really funny thing but actually she's kind of got a point you know i yeah. mean sex can be an incredibly wonderful thing and it is a responsibility that you have to take seriously you have to make sure you're protected from disease and from pregnancy um yeah. you know you want to make sure that you have protection from those things and i can understand you know historically how sex Uh, you know sex shaming and sex negativity came out of a fear for women because if a woman was left pregnant with no one to take care of her that could be death for her and the baby like I mean that could happen back you know back in the day but but the degree to which we take this you know the degree to which you know before there was um you know uh, protection from disease before there was uh, birth control um you know it was the way you could protect yourself was by not having sex you know so there was Mm -hmm. certainly danger associated with sex and there can still be you have to be careful you know but um but the thing is is that all of these mindsets are are you know related to shaming this thing which is a a natural human act a natural human desire and when you're shamed for something that is part of who you naturally are it does an incredible amount of damage and it leads to a lot of these things you know that are just so incredibly destructive so um so basically what we're saying is ignore all the messages in this episode sex positivity is the way you want to go um you know while still protecting yourself protecting others and absolutely make maintaining enthusiastic consent all the way through from beginning to end that's how it's done it's not that complicated (laughs) (laughs) thank you i think we should record that as a psa yes exactly (laughs) send it out for the world because yes that that's pretty much it in a nutshell it is very very simple simple. right Yeah. yeah so uh there's a lot of stuff culturally that we really need to get over um, with a lot of this stuff, and it is unfortunately all of it in this episode. So um, let's move on to research mode. What questions did this episode leave you with? So there were a lot of people at Cordelia's party, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but she hasn't lived in L.A. for very long. Mm-hmm. And so I was just really curious how she met so many people, mm-hmm. given that her work is is pretty isolating. And I wish we saw more of her life outside of the office. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm glad she's got friends. You know, oh, I'm yeah. glad she can throw a party and, and have a good time. And she, you know, we saw her go out with a bunch of her friends, you know, and, and expecting. So, I mean, she obviously does have a social circle. I'm not sure they're great friends, considering they turned her over to, like, these demon impregnating yeah, guys. she probably but... didn't. St- I don't think they were at the party. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't th- I think they lost their invites after that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's one of these, you know, world building things that you just presume that Cordy's got tons of friends wherever she goes because she's Cordelia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious about yeah. that. And then, you know, we see Angel officially offer Wesley a job. And I thought Wesley was already working for Angel. Yeah. So that was confusing. Yeah. And then his his attitude when Angel becomes his boss. Mm hmm. I couldn't decide if it was adorable or if I wanted to stake it. Yeah. But I wondered, like, if Angel just now became his boss, what was Angel before? Right. And I don't know. Like, it was, 
it was weird because it does seem like Wesley has been working there. Like they'd already kind of invited him in the fold. So he was just working for free for Angel, I guess, for all that time without asking mm-hmm. for, you know, payment or anything. Um, and then Angel's like, yeah, sure, we can give you a cut. You know, <laughs> and it's it's fine. And he doesn't care. Um, so it just it does feel weird. And then Wesley being so kind of sycophantic you know with yeah. angel at that point and it's just it's also that we can have you know cordy give the kiss ass joke and i mean you know fine whatever but it's not it seems it seems really weirdly kind of shoved in here for the purpose of having you know that that little joke and officially making wesley part of the team but he, he already was from the time he was invited to stay for eggs at the end of his first episode he was part of the team you know yeah Yeah, I don't uh, I don't understand that. Um, You know, one of the things that I liked and that I think is kind of interesting is the the presence of Dennis. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there's an argument for Phantom Dennis being like sentient empathy. Everything he does is always out of concern and care for others. He's very protective of Cordelia. He gets her sodas. He gets her tissues. He covered her up in bed and expecting. Um, And then when Angel, you know, is alone in the kitchen, he pulls out a chair for him. He gets him a beer. He keeps him company. You know, Um, there's something just incredibly sweet about Dennis and I you know I know I've had concerns about um you know he's in there and and Cordy's showering and she's having sex with with men and like is he watching all of that but you know what I don't I don't worry about that anymore I think Dennis is just empathy that's just all he is he's just a very very sweet guy and I I like that I think Dennis is good people. Mm -hmm. And even though we never actually see him, he's one of my favorite characters on the show. Yeah, no, he is. He is really great. So he's so sweet. Yeah. Um, So one kind of small research question I had, I love the scene with Angel at the museum. Mm -hmm. But how did he know to take off his coat when he walked in? Mm hmm. Like, could he hear Jira telling the security guard about him? Because he was a good distance behind him. Yeah, I think, isn't it textual that vampires have incredible hearing? Yeah, so you think he heard her? I think think he did. Okay. Or at any rate, he saw her talking to a a security guard and could predict probably, you know, what she was doing. But it was smart, you know. But yeah, Yeah. it's one of those things. I think, I know we know that they have, like, exceptional, you know, smelling that they can smell everything. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm presuming that they've also got, I'm trying to think of, of a textual yeah, moment it, where they talk it, about there the is, hearing. We've had it there. Is there. Text, yeah. yeah, there's textual moments for that. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't sure, like, the distance between them, if that was yeah. how he knew. Because, it, no, if, if we had seen him and heard her, mm-hmm. that would have made sense. Yeah. But when she was talking to the security guard, we didn't see Angel, so I couldn't tell if he was within hearing range and it just threw me off for a second. Yeah. Um, but it was really smart, you know? Yeah, no, it was. I, I liked that moment with, uh, with Angel. I thought that he was really, he was really smart. He, you know, was on top of it. He was able to uh, handle himself. So it was, it was very, very cool. I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, you know, overall, I think we're, we're left with, you know, just kind of a meh feeling about this episode like i just oh yeah you know i don't like this episode i i hate the way it wars with itself um do you have anything else left in in questions or things to ponder i had kind of a small rant and a question yeah okay so, um, what you got? <laughs> so i really didn't like this episode but i didn't even care enough to hate it yeah I just wanted it to be over and never watch it again. So I closed my eyes and thought of Chippers and got it done. And <laughs> <laughs> the 
But it did make yeah. me wonder about the vulnerability of having your sexual desire on display uh-huh. without the ability to control it. Mm-hmm. And then I started wondering, are they making a statement here about male and female arousal? Because Mm -hmm. men have to deal with or conceal erections when they're aroused Mm -hmm. and they can't necessarily control when or how that happens. And I can imagine that there would be some shame or embarrassment or anxiety there. And if my neck glowed bright red when I was turned on, Mm -hmm. I'd have to invest in some very dark, super cover up scarves. Right. And but the fact that this was the research question I thought the most about, Uh like, what is it like to have your arousal be visible to others, whether you want it to be or not, Mm -hmm. in an episode that was so horrific in terms of the treatment and representation of women and sexuality Mm -hmm. showed me just how desensitized I am to the whole fucking patriarchy. (laughs) And, you know, stories like this do nothing but reinforce it, even though it seems they were trying to be better. And I wanted to take a shower when it was over and not because I needed to cool off, but because the whole thing was kind of gross. I mean, I sort of missed the psychic surgeon (laughs) in hell. I sort of missed Kate. Right. I would take Kate over this. That's how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is really bad. <laughs> that was really bad. So what do we have to brood on here? All right. Well, she is one of the famously meh episodes of Angel, aside from Wesley being officially hired on as a paid member of the team, which I thought had already happened as he's been working there for a while now anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, there isn't really anything new here that impacts, you know, a, a viewer's understanding of the rest of the series. So I would say that she is probably the most skippable episode of the season. Yep. Possibly with the exception of the next one, which comes pretty close. (laughs) So Kelly, (laughs) let's go to I've Got You Under My Skin. In this Angel Thinks It's an Exorcist sequel episode, Angel follows Cordy's vision to a cute little house with a white picket fence and saves a sleepwalking kid named Ryan from being hit by a car. But the house is surrounded by fluorescent demon poop, and the family is creepy, and someone in the house is possessed. After many Mr. X with the evil, no way, actually good dad, Angel and Wesley figure out that Ryan is the one possessed, and seek the help of a priest to perform an exorcism, because apparently that's how things work in this story world now. But the priest died in last week's exorcism, so Wesley and Angel take the challenge on themselves. They succeed in casting out the Ethros demon, but it turns out this hideous force of darkness was actually trapped in the kid, scared silly by the void of soulless malevolence in this junior arsonist. Angel and Wesley rescue the family when Ryan sets fire to the house and Ryan is taken away by the police. And we learn that nuns know about vampires and Ethros demons, so maybe that's why Angelus has a thing for nuns? I've Got You Under My Skin aired February 15th, 2000. It was directed by R.D. Price, who will return to Angel only once more to direct season two's Blood Money. This episode has a story by credit to David Greenwald and Janine Renshaw and was written by Janine Renshaw. Renshaw co-wrote Parting Gifts with David Fury and co-wrote I Will Remember You with David Greenwald. She'll be back later this season for her last episode in Angel, Blind Date. All right, so... Here we are. I've got you under my skin, which is one of those episodes like some of them, you know, you hear the title and you always know what episode it is. I've got you under my skin always makes me think of the psychic surgeon. I'm like, oh, no, wait, we already did that. What is this episode? Yeah, me too. And then we get to this and it's just, I guess, okay, let's start with moments of perfect happiness. What you got? (laughs) 
Okay, so I wanted to tell Courtney, it's okay, honey. I can't cook either. (laughs) (laughs) With her brownies. And the thing is, is that like brownies, like you have to really work hard to screw up brownies. Brownies are, you know, it's chocolate, sugar, fat. It's all good. It's all good stuff. (laughs) It's all good. I just thought it was cute. Yeah. Um, and And I did like Angel, you know, when Cordelia came to him to talk about Doyle. Yeah. And Angel said, I'm not unflappable. I miss him. Mm-hmm. It was very sweet, but it's it's also a love stake thing. So we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Angel saved Ryan from the car, you know, he cut his shoulder and yeah. Ryan asked if he was going to cry. And Angel, you like, like he was really pondering it. You yeah. know, he said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Let me think. No. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to cry. And I, <laughs> I really liked Angel being good with kids. Yeah, no, it was kind of nice. And it was a really mm-hmm. nice moment for him. I liked that. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was pretty good. I, of course, love the moment when um, the parents bring him in and she's tending to him and she asks for his name and he says Jones, Angel Jones. And I'm like, yes. okay, <laughs> that's it. Between Still Dead and Chipper and the previous episode in this, obviously, you know, they love us. So we're just going to let yes. that go. <laughs> that made me grin for real. <laughs> I and I like Cordelia when she's talking about the children's stories and she's like, this whole thing needs a rating system. <laughs> Yes. And I actually love that. And I wish that they had done more with it Mm -hmm. because you really could have set something up Mm -hmm. that would have been really cool in this episode. Mm -hmm. Because so many children's stories are dark and some were intended to be warnings like fairy tales and some were actually memes or political satire Mm -hmm. whose meaning has been lost over time. Some were symbolic, but music is so tied to memory and rhymes are so easy to teach Mm -hmm. that the songs outlive their meaning. Right. And Rockabye Baby is one of those songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and one of those nursery rhymes that, you know, has, has survived while the original meaning of it has been lost. And if you just read it literally, it's really disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and so there are several theories about the origin and meaning. Like it could be about the fear of crib death. Mm-hmm. It might have come from European settlers settling in America, observing Native Americans rocking babies in cradles that were swinging gently from tree branches. Mm-hmm. Um there's a theory that it came from the Glorious Revolution and like secret baby swapping between the Protestant and Catholic monarchs. Wow. Um, but when I looked it up mm-hmm. for fun, because the origin of stories gives me <laughs> moments of perfect happiness, um, I found an interpretation I never heard before, that it might be a metaphor for childbirth, where the mother is the tree, contractions are the wind, the bow breaking is her water breaking, and the cradle and all is the placenta. Wow. And I couldn't find a credible source for this, but I still like the idea, especially the reflection of a cradle falling in an episode where we see a child who was born without a soul. Right. Yeah. And like, I think they really could have done something with that. Like something that's supposed to be innocent, like a nursery mm-hmm. rhyme, you right. know, really having this darkness to it and woven that through. And like you could have had a really interesting episode here. Right. Yeah. No, they could have done something interesting with that. And I mean, there yeah. is something interesting about the idea of a, of a child born without a soul, something that's that's mundane. You know, it's yeah. not demonic. It's not supernatural. It's it's, you know, natural evil. Like, and that happens, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, no, that's really interesting. I like that. We're going to talk more about that. But I mean, I just also love the fact that you just did that whole run 
And that's the most interesting thing in this episode. And it's not even in this episode. <laughs> they didn't do anything <laughs> with that. But that was really great. And as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, yeah, they could have done some really cool stuff with that. But it just instead is this really weird kind of thing. But we're in moments of perfect happiness now. We'll get to staking and questions in a little bit. Um, I love, honestly, what I think is so well done in this episode is Wesley's delicate backstory, right? One of the things that writers do with backstory is they really try to like super explain everything. You have somebody sit down and say, well, when I was a kid, my father did these terrible things to me, yada, yada, yada. But the best way to sprinkle in backstory, and this is, you know, when I teach my classes in writing, this is one of the things that I tell people to do is have the characters say something and then we get everything we need from context. We don't need specifics. We just need to know the basics. So here he is talking about when they suspect that the dad is is evil, you know, and brutalizing these kids. Um, he just says a father doesn't have to be possessed to terrorize his children. He just has to. And then he trails off. And when somebody trails off in, um, in fiction, that means something that's significant and it's it's what I call a um, vulnerability marker, right? We have mm -hmm. this moment where we are marking vulnerability, but we're not speaking directly to it. We're not having Wesley say what his father did to him, right? But we're just having this little hint. And that is absolutely how it's done. Completely perfect. It's in there for just a second. We do address it a little more directly later on in the episode when um, the demon is taunting uh, Wesley um, with, mm -hmm. with uh, you know, discussions of his father and everything. Um, but it's just really beautifully done. And I like that a lot. And I wanted to point that out for the writers out there who are interested in, in kind of thinking about, you know, an example for how to really beautifully and delicately kind of weave a little bit of backstory into a vulnerability marker. It's really nicely done. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think like when you say vulnerability marker, it lines up usually with the moment where I want to give somebody a hug. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. in that moment, I just want to be like, oh, Wesley. Oh, no. like, and it was it was beautifully done. Like you said, I mean, it, it really was mm -hmm. excellent to get that kind of insight into him. Um, and it's just there for a second, but it felt so authentic. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really, really nicely done. I also like that we have this nun. Right. Mm -hmm. This woman, you know, who knows how to handle the situation, knows what Angel is. I love when she presses the cross up against him and she's like, I'm on to you, dude. Like, I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> I have seen some shit like that's this woman. You know? <laughs> and I really love that. I mean, again, though, you know, we're we're in this space where we're borrowing, you know, culturally charged religious iconography and this idea of the nun. And we're going into this religious place. We're going to talk about all of that in a little bit. So, I mean, we're going to definitely put a, you know, put a hold on that for just a little bit. But um, but I, I liked the nun. I thought that she was great. Did you like her? <laughs> Oh, I did. Okay. Yeah, I liked her a lot. I have questions about her, but yes. I liked her a lot. Yes, I have questions about that, too. Um, I also like that Wesley is, you know, he's in. Like, he's like, I can mm -hmm. do this. I can handle it. I can do an exorcism, you know. And then when Angel's fighting with him, he tosses a cross at Angel and says, I believe I made my point. And I yeah. love when he does that. I do, too. I like seeing the steel under yes. the goofy Wesley yes. surface because he is much stronger than we have been led to believe so far. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I like how that was played out. Right, right. And I like Angel stepping in later, like when the demon is using Wesley's dad to try to get to him. Um, mm -hmm. Then, you know, Angel steps in and he's there in complete support of Wesley. And it's, it's kind of nice seeing them work together. I mean, th there's weirdness in the rest of it, but I like that moment. <laughs> Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And then, you know, the demon uses Doyle to get to Angel, mm -hmm. which I guess was good storytelling, except 
until this episode, we haven't seen much of Angel grieving for Doyle. Right. So him calling Wesley Doyle on accident earlier now feels like it was there just so the demon could make Angel feel guilty over Doyle's death. Right. And I have more about that in my stake this section. But yeah. it's one of the, this is one of those where like, I love this, but. I love it and I want to stake it. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit because it is something where, uh, you know, we, we grieve Doyle for a second. Then Wesley shows up and we're all like, okay, you know, Doyle's gone. That's, you know, and we don't really talk about it very much, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little more depth right. in a little bit. Cause we're still in yeah. the, in the love it section. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did have a yeah. story question okay. here mm-hmm. for your expertise and maybe this should go in the research question, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you okay. about it. So the demon taps into Wesley's vulnerability about not feeling smart enough, you know, not feeling good enough, that whole thing mm-hmm. with his dad. But Wesley's strength is his intelligence. Yeah. So when we're looking at strengths, vulnerabilities and weaknesses, I like the alignment of strength and vulnerability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But does that work in narrative theory? Like, oh, can sure. your vulnerability and your strength be the same thing? Sure. Because I thought that was really cool. You're incredibly smart. Tell me you've never felt imposter syndrome. Right. Oh, every day. (laughs) Everybody has. Everybody has. So, yeah, absolutely. You can line up vulnerability with the strength. Vulnerability does not have to be about weaknesses. And people kind of confuse vulnerability with weaknesses because they think it's sort of the same thing, but it's really not. Um, And and again, for people who haven't uh, listened to my podcast, How Story Works, which is all about basically how story works in narrative theory, um, Mm there is this thing that I've I've called the um, the character triangle, where you want to have a representation from each vertex of the triangle, which is strength weaknesses and vulnerabilities so strengths are the things that a character can do you know the things that they're good at uh weaknesses are the things they can't do that they're bad at and vulnerabilities are the things that hurt them that are really speak to their 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 fears and their you know the things that 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 um that can really upset them right and the Mm -hmm. sources for vulnerability are fear identity love and shame again Go to How Story Works if you want to know more about this, because it could yeah, become a whole and, big thing. But people right. people tend to align vulnerability with weakness. And sometimes that can be. Sometimes if there's something that you can't do that you feel like, you know, like say you're born into a family full of cops, you know, and you want to dance, you know, or something like that, like where it's something that you're not you're not good at the thing that people expect you to be good at. And that can be a real source of vulnerability for you. But also in, in you can have a source of vulnerability that resides in your strengths as well. And aligning that gives it a little extra crunch because we do expect it to be related to a weakness and things that we can't do. But if the things that you're good at are things that you're ashamed of, you know, um, that could be something that could could align a vulnerability with a strength. And there's absolutely no reason why there's nothing in narrative theory that would say that's a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I think it's it's a really nice kind of refreshing way to look at vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. So like in watching, you know, Angel with you trying to figure out why I love the things that I love, Mm -hmm. that that's something that has stood out to me that I wouldn't have seen without you. Is that when strength and vulnerability align, when they're two sides of the same coin or, you know, two opposite ends of the same spectrum, that really speaks to me mm-hmm. on a story level. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really happy to have identified something because <laughs> Angel does this as a show, yeah. I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I've figured something out that I didn't know before we started. Oh, that's very cool. Um, and that yeah. made me happy. No, it's nice. <laughs> and there's also that internal conflict of the thing that you're good at also being a source of vulnerability for you. 
you know yeah. if it's a thing that you're bad at that's a source of vulnerability then you just avoid it you know but if it's right. something that you're good at that can be um that's a really interesting it's it's a nice thing and angel does do that you know they they mm-hmm. do play in these places that are really interesting and, and very narratively crunchy which is part of why the show is great when it's great <laughs> Right. <laughs> I think my other like favorite thing in this episode, though, is Rick's magic and stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, it's where I get my magic and most of my stuff. For anybody, for anybody who's when, ever seen when, Parks and Rec, you'll recognize that reference. When I, when I read that line from you in the notes, I was like, I adore you. Lonnie Rich. <laughs> That's where I get my Just, magic and most, and of, most my of my stuff. <laughs> it just cracked me up. I saw that. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it. And I loved Rick. Yeah, like, he was awesome. Yeah. But Cordy shopping at Rick's Magic and mm-hmm. stuff was my favorite part of this yeah. episode. And she's like, look, I have an ether semen and I need a place to put it. Will this work? Like, <laughs> she is so freaking fantastic. I know. And I love that he sold her a bad one because it did not hold the demon. Not even close. Apparently, those woods were not virgin. <laughs> Yeah, apparently not. Or he was like, it might be a little tight through the shoulders. <laughs> just, it was so funny. Oh my um, and then I liked, uh, and I have to concede a point from an earlier episode mm-hmm. to you here. Yes. Because Angel came down on your side of this argument. Mm-hmm. But one of the ways that that demon was taunting Wesley was by telling Angel that Wesley was planning to kill him. Right. Mm-hmm. And when Wesley brought that up, Angel said, I know you're not planning to kill me, Wesley, but you're willing to. And that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, Lonnie wins that argument. <laughs> Wesley being willing to kill Angel is apparently what Angel wants. Is so a, is I can see that point. It's a sign of true friendship. Point. It's a sign of true <laughs> friendship and absolute loyalty. Because Wesley yeah. would take no pleasure in killing Angel, even if Angel was angelus. He would he would right. absolutely be heartbroken by it. But he would do that because it's what Angel would want. And he right. knows that, and that shows his loyalty. So I, my argument is always that, that when Wesley is willing to kill Angel, when Cordy is willing to kill Angel, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. that, uh, that, that shows how incredibly dedicated and loyal they are to him. And I always like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why, when I see it from Cordy, I think yes. Mm-hmm. And when I see it from, when I saw it earlier from Wesley, I was like, uh-uh. Right. But you were right. So I'm conceding <laughs> okay. the point. So there you go. Well, <laughs> it's, it's entirely possible, though, that they didn't um, really seed that well enough to make that clear in the moment when we had that from Wesley earlier. Because honestly, I was reading that with my greater knowledge of everything in the series, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so without that, at that moment, you know, and watching that, I can completely see why you felt that way. I think I have greater knowledge reasons mm-hmm. that are making me a little biased. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I just wanted to call it out. Okay. Because when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Oh, baby, you are almost <laughs> never wrong. Speaking of never being wrong, why don't you stake something for me? <laughs> okay. So there's, there are things to stake. Yes. Um, so in the beginning, when Cordy and Wes are arguing over Cordy using Wes's demon killing knife to cut the brownies, mm-hmm. Angel like really pulls out the dad voice right. and he's like, Cord- Cordelia, Doyle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he says Doyle instead of Wesley. And I was like, really? Because what triggered that? Mm-hmm. Like, we just, yes, it would be natural for him still to be grieving for Doyle, but we haven't seen it. No, that's just the thing. We haven't. Like, you know, Wesley came in, replaced Doyle, and everybody's like, you know, they mention him every now and again, like in passing, mm-hmm. but we didn't really grieve Doyle for that long. 
Right. And so it just, it, it, it was like, okay, we're putting this in now mm-hmm. because we're going to get the demon to talk about it later. Right. Which would have been fine if you only look at this one episode. But if you look at what's happened between Doyle's death and this episode, it just didn't hold up. Right. We haven't been we um, haven't been seeding this. We haven't been planting right. this. We haven't been, you know, dealing with Angel's grief, maybe his guilt. You know, he wanted to sacrifice himself, but Doyle, you know, surprised him and hit him and knocked him over the thing and he couldn't get there in time. And I mean, I can see Angel feeling like, you know, he'd killed a lot of people in his life that he's feeling guilty for. But here was something that happened when maybe he could have tried harder. Maybe he could have moved faster. Maybe he could have stopped Doyle. Maybe, you know, like I can see him wrestling with that. But we haven't seen any of that. These episodes, it's just like, oh, Doyle's gone. Boom. We're, we're not going to speak of him. And we very rarely do. And when we do, it's in passing. It's very casual. So we haven't seen the weight of that on Angel in these intervening episodes. We're suddenly taking it and borrowing it without really paying for it narratively. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Cordelia and Wesley fighting like brother and sister. Mm-hmm hasn't been seated yet either Mm -hmm. and then we cut from that to the anderson house with ryan and stephanie fighting over their toys yes Mm -hmm. and it felt like i don't know kind of making everybody more juvenile than they were Mm -hmm. or maybe they're trying to show okay wesley and cordelia are like brother and sister Mm -hmm. but it's not brother sister and dad yeah like that's not that family dynamic with angel um so I don't know. It, it just, uh, I wanted to stake it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then when Angel brings the spiked brownies mm-hmm. to like identify the demon, could he have been more obvious about watching the dad eat the brownies? Oh, seriously. I mean, like, come on. I know. And the really? whole thing, the, like the Mr. X that they have in this episode are so like really creaky. You know, they're just really poorly put together. And they're all this like, you know, that dad is such an evil son of a bitch through the whole thing. And then as soon Mm -hmm. as Ryan is outed as demonic, the dad becomes a completely different character. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that is such a bad misdirect. You know, we do that. We even have a moment where there's a misdirect pointing to the little girl. You know, right. where we think maybe she's the one who's evil. We never look at the mom and think maybe she's the one who's evil. And honestly, she's number one in my. <laughs> oh, Monto, she creeped me they... out more than any right. of them. She was, she was weird and, <laughs> she, and she really was weird. weird. And yet we never really played her up as possibly being, you know, evil in, in the text of the show. And so the Mr. X, like this is where Mr. X are done really poorly. And again, we, you know, we've talked about this before. We will talk about it again. Angel loves Mr. X, you know? Yeah. And yeah. This one was especially annoying mm-hmm. because the abusive husband dad is yeah. just too serious and damaging to use casually as a misdirect right. like that, mm-hmm. um, especially because that whole freaking family gave me right. the mm-hmm. Um But if I had to pick one at the beginning, I would have been like, oh, it's totally that mom. It's totally like, the mom, I- <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> she creeped me yeah. out. Yeah. No, it's all weird. And it's, it's inconsistent. Like, if you go back and watch it again, knowing everything and what you're seeing is inconsistent with the the reality of what this story is then it's it's not just a misdirect you're being lied to you know yeah that's what it felt like misled and that that causes you to not trust your storyteller and as a storyteller you lose the trust of your audience then you lose the ability to tell truly effective stories it works against you in the long run so in the moment you get this cheap gasp but it's really not worth what you pay for it you know yeah yeah yep 
So, um, you know, we also have Cordelia doing this thing, which we see every single episode. And so I'm just going to, you know, call it out, stake it here, but just consider it staked everywhere. Is this like, it hurts, you know, hold me from the episode before, right? And then we realize she's talking about a vision. And then, you know, it's like, it just, it's enough, you know, like I'm, we've done this, we do this every single time. It's old, it's creaky. We don't need to do it. And yet I, we do it constantly and we will continue to do it throughout. I think throughout the run of the series, we do this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. too. Yeah. It gets better, but yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That was annoying. Then, then like, you know, Angel goes in after saving the kid. And I'm like, wait, where, where's Wesley? He's just out there in the car, like listening to the radio. Then, of course, we see him at the garbage can. He's investigating. But still. Yeah. <laughs> he has to get like creeped out by that doll yes. in the trash can, uh-huh. which was also creepy. Which is very creepy. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Because somehow he knew to get out and search the house yeah. for ectoplasm because since when is that a thing in the story universe right. um but then i like to think he got back in the car turned on the radio and knitted. i think he did i think he did yeah. yes so, <laughs> so at least yeah, he's getting think... that relaxing hobby thing going for him yeah. which is good yeah when you're because fighting his evil work all is... day it's stressful yeah his work is stressful exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i don't know like the the dad who's been you know quote unquote evil this whole time and suddenly he's okay it's great and then he says maybe you are an angel and i'm like no this no. just stop no. so i mean that was a terrible yeah. line it was bad. And I liked the turn in Seth when he showed that he wanted to protect Ryan, but it was a total personality change from evil and scary dad. Right. Had it been consistent where he was still yeah. kind of a, a jerk and, and, you know, rude and mean and all that kind of stuff, but he was doing it in an attempt to protect his son, you know, okay, fair enough. But it's just they, they turned him so suddenly and it was just it was so badly badly done and I also hate the way they play on I mean this is obviously a play on the exorcist we have some of the same kind of makeup we have a possessed child in a bed you know with this demon voice speaking through him you know and taunting the people trying to do the exorcism we're doing this weird exorcism bringing religion into this space in this really weird way and demons like demons in this world are physical beings. They don't really possess people. I mean, I guess we have this this soul of the, you know, or essence of the demon that, that goes into vampires and how they work. But all the other demons are just, you know, big snakes. Like, you know, they're, yeah. they're you know, warriors <laughs> from a thing with a gem in their head or whatever. You know, like it's, it's they're, they're physical. They don't. They're not metaphorical the way that that the the possession, you know, the kids possessed by demons, you know, which is something that we've used to explain things we couldn't understand way back in our history, like perhaps mental illness. Um, You know, lots of them we say they're possessed by a demon and they do an exorcism like, oh, okay, you know, whatever, Um, because we didn't have talk therapy, you know, or whatever. Um, (laughs) And uh, so, like, you know, that's where this particular kind of demon comes from. But the demons that we deal with are physical, actual creatures from like other dimensions or hell dimensions or whatever it is i I don't think we have a lot of clarity on that but one thing that they don't do is you know possess people and when we finally see the demon and he's kicked out you know he he smashes the uh the box which you know Mm -hmm. i I hope that rick's magic and stuff has a money back guarantee because damn um (laughs) then he becomes like a regular demon like you know he's just like he's a physical thing and he's under the tunnel he's like a troll i don't know you know he's gonna make you answer these questions three or whatever um (laughs) what is your favorite (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's just it's so weird like the way that they're yeah. they're playing on this whole exorcist thing in a completely differently built cosmology it's just weird yeah it was weird and i'm sorry but Paige falls into that too stupid to live mm-hmm character category and for her to be in such denial when she has literally seen the demon in her kid yeah. i mean come yeah. on like I don't know. really yeah uh, it yeah I, it's just i don't know a page is terrible seth is terrible i mean stephanie you know is okay like there's nothing yeah, except that that she apparently really likes creepy dolls i don't know what the deal is with that um <laughs> but i mean it's all like it's it's bad the the demon effects you know the way that the face is kind of like slit open and i don't know demony and then using doyle to upset angel using wesley's dad to come at wesley like so not only is this demon you know possessing but it also has the ability to like know things he's also psychic mm-hmm. demon like we don't we don't not we don't lock down the cosmology so we have all of these like contradictions and it's it's just really really weird yeah it was really weird but but then on a very practical level Mm -hmm. if you have a kid who's really scary and he's already set fire to one house and killed somebody you do not sleep with a pack of matches on your nightstand. Yes. Not to mention this kid has already demonstrated that the bars on the windows and the locks on the doors apparently don't keep him in. So yeah. the, the gasoline that you have in a canister for your, <laughs> right? you know, your lawnmower, perhaps get an electric lawnmower or hire somebody yeah. else to do it. Uh, but don't yeah. keep the gasoline, you know, in Mm-mm. your in your house for him to light everything on fire. So... Yeah. yeah, the whole thing is is crazy. But I think that moves us nicely over into research mode. So tell me what other questions you had from this episode. Okay. So I actually have a lot because mm-hmm. even when they're poorly done, yeah. I'm very drawn to these religious stories within the context of Angel yeah. because there's so many unanswered questions mm-hmm. and so much lack of clarity there that I just have to ask a lot of yeah. questions. Um, but the first one was that plactocene, yes. like glowing demon goo. I'm sorry, but that stuff looks like ectoplasm. And I kept thinking about Slimer and the Ghostbusters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like, that's <laughs> what it was evoking, which I don't think it yeah. meant to because it was working in this so. little exorcist thing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, that was weird. Uh-huh. And how does the nun know that Angel is a vampire? <laughs> like, how does she know about Ethro's demons? Like specifically that species, not just a demon, not just right, demon, right. but this specific one. I don't know. She's and not seen I, some shit. Sister has seen yeah. some shit, I guess. <laughs> but I, I just, I wanted to, you know, well, I, I want her story, right? When she was younger yeah. and Angel wasn't around to like save Los Angeles from all this stuff. And she was working to, she was doing Angel's job, you know, <gasps> or, yeah. oh, or, She's met him before, but he didn't recognize her because because it was 50 years ago and now she's aged. That could have been really, I would love that story. See, they could have done so much with this episode. Exactly. Sister's seen some shit. I want that story. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. And and then I want to know, like, what is an Aethros demon? Mm -hmm. Why does it require an exorcism? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Wesley translates when Angel performs the ritual from the Latin and says, do you renounce Satan and all his works? Yeah. 
And that is a very specific Christian reference, and it doesn't fit with the mythology of our Mm -hmm. world. And how can a vampire who can't even touch a crucifix perform an exorcism? And I don't mean like the wrapping of the cloth around his hand to hold the cross, but in theory, if the vampire demon is so abhorrent to God... Yeah. How how could that work? Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. But the idea of one demon casting out another was interesting. It is kind of interesting. And I think that had we had we built that into the cosmology, it might have made sense. But I mean, the thing is, like, this isn't we we go on occasion. I mean, we, we borrow these religious symbols, you know, the, the cross and the mm-hmm. holy water and all of that kind of stuff. We borrow that because that's the the demon or the vampire mythology that we have, right? You know, so they pulled right. that in without really acknowledging the meaning of it or the history behind it or, or why these things are so charged through years and years and years of, you know, religious storytelling, right? Um, but to go into this space in a story that has has really made a clear effort to be secular, you know, it feels extremely weird, you know, to yeah. pull into, especially because that that mythology and that storytelling and, and religious tradition um, is is a different kind of mythology from what we do in something like angels so it it's it all doesn't go well together no it doesn't and and like the title should have been like angel goes to church right or something like it was just weird um but then so we have an an ethros mm-hmm. demon and we have an ethros box mm-hmm. what is the deal with this show and boxes right because right. this comes up a lot. You put the, we, we put all the pieces of the psychic surgeon into separate boxes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we do like we're going to without spoiling too much. Boxes are kind of a thing in this show. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even in the last episode, yeah. Jira was in this big glowing right. box. Mm-hmm. Like there's and it's going to come up over and over and over again. So I'm just I want to like really watch no, that. That's interesting. Thing. We're going to have to revisit yeah. that as a question. But yeah, this idea of being able to shut something away you know being able to mm-hmm. contain things right the box yeah. is is representative of this desire to contain things you right. know yeah. um because it's not that we you know we cast the evil out of things right the best we can do mm-hmm. is put them in a box you know yeah that's interesting yeah yeah it is it's very interesting yeah well i, I like and one of the things that I actually do kind of like, but that that brings up this question, right, is that, you know, we, we address this idea of, you know, not all demons are evil, right? That's the first thing. Like, all vampires are evil unless they have a soul. <laughs> but right. but all not all demons are evil. Some demons apparently have souls or they're just good by nature or however that works, you know. Um, but here we have, you know, this this big twist that we work toward is that this kid who has no soul also just happened to be possessed by a demon. Um, and the demon is explaining, you know, that there's darkness and there's nothing and it's, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we basically say that the soul is the only thing that that brings goodness that without a soul the essential nature of of humanity and existence is darkness and evil you know um but it's really interesting this idea that humans can be just as evil you know so what does that do with us for demons which are supposed to be kind of a shortcut right for evil right yeah and and this this is what triggered the most thinking for Mm -hmm. me because the Etheris demon, you know, tells Wesley and Angel, 
Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? Nothing. That's what I found in the boy. No conscience, no fear, no humanity, just a black void. That boy's mind was the darkest hell I've ever known. Mm -hmm. And this is after he brags about the tens of thousands of people he's corrupted into becoming mass murderers. And I was like, really? So is really. So I mean, like, what is he what is he saying? Like, this is a demon that that makes people kill people that makes people do terrible things this would seem like christmas to him this would seem like you know the best thing ever that he's got he just has no conscience to fight he can just get this kid to do all sorts of evil terrible things but the fact that this kid doesn't need him to do evil terrible things the fact that this this demon wrote out save me and rocks or whatever like and then taunted like this demon says he wanted to be out, that he wanted to be right. cast out. So he was taunting Wesley and Angel, who are doing what he wants for reasons of why, to motivate them. They were yeah. already motivated. They're trying to save a little kid. All he had to do was sit back and wait, and he would have been cast yeah. out, and everything was fine. So none of that makes any sense. It's all, it's again, it's like we're, we really want to do this twist you know, so we're we're playing this whole thing up. Mm-hmm. But that demon and then the demon at the end is like, I'm not afraid of death. I've been inside this kid all this time. Like I, none of it. Yeah. None of it makes sense. No. And, and it's in direct contrast with like the fundamental kind of human philosophy of the show, yeah. because in this episode, the show is saying that some people are born without souls and that's how we get psychopaths. Right. Mm-hmm. So did someone skip a step on the human creation instructions? Mm-hmm. Like, damn it, Bobby, you left the soul out again. Right. It, it, like, <laughs> if the soul is an essential part of what makes us human and it's not physiological or psychological, mm-hmm. how can someone be born without right. one? And then taking that like one step further, ethros sounds an awful lot like ethos, mm-hmm. you know, which is Latin for like the overall distinguishing characteristic or moral nature or guiding beliefs, you know, or like the spirit essence of a group or mm-hmm. a person or a culture. Mm-hmm. So if a soul is what separates humans from demons, then the soul could be seen as the ethos of humanity. Right. And if that's true within this world, then being born without a soul is not possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And then what is the show saying about the meaning and purpose of the soul? Yeah. I don't think, I mean, like nothing's consistent. I don't think it's saying anything. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. It's not consistent at all. There's no, there's nothing there that you can look to and say, okay, we're clearly making this statement. That's not, they're not clearly making any statement. None of this is consistent. None of it makes any sense. No, not at all. And I think what bugs me the most about that is there was potential yeah, here yeah. to do some really cool stuff within the story universe that we've established mm-hmm. um, and like seeing potential for something that could have been a right. really interesting episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that I think that bugs me almost one more than an episode that's just bad all the yeah, way through. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's like, you know, where there's there's potential for something really cool that you could have done something really cool with this, but instead it feels, it feels kind of phoned in, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So um, yep. yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's, it's a problem. It's not a great episode. And I don't really think about it when I think about what angel is doing with its world building, because this is completely inconsistent with everything else that it does. It's kind of one of those episodes you just sort of have to like wave away and be like, this one doesn't count. It's not real. It's yeah, not actual exactly. angel. It feels like poorly written fan fiction. You know, mm-hmm. so yep. yeah, it's just it's just not right. All right, so what are we gonna brood on with uh I've got you under my skin? 
So this could have been an intriguing mm-hmm. episode, but the Mr. X and the quote unquote twist and the demon Christianity ambiguity got yeah. in the way. The most interesting things we learn in this episode are that Wesley has a dark history with his father and that Angel is still struggling with his guilt over Doyle's death. And that Angel is my secret fictional television yeah. husband. So where is the doctor and Mr. Angel Jones? Gift? Well, we're going to have to obviously get that. <laughs> So, so out of these two episodes, what was your favorite part? Gosh, you know, I think it was, um, I have to say, I think it was Angel in the museum. I think it was Angel. Yeah, yeah I think it was Angel, you know, just talking about history and culture and, and being so smart in the moment. Um, you know, th- yeah, I think that was my favorite part. What was yours? Oh, Angel dancing and reading poetry. Yes. There you go. Easy peasy. <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> All right. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. For more in-depth discussion, visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can support Chipperish Media to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all of the Chipperish patrons who can Batman off buildings with the best of them. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. Yes, this episode of Still Dead was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Alice Sherman. Alice supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to perform all the exorcisms. Thank you, Alice, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a Still Dead producer. We will be back next time with episodes 15 through 17 of season one. The Prodigal, The Ring, and Eternity, all skippers. Until then, we have two modes with people, bite and avoid. <laughs> <laughs>